Welcome to The Inside. This was the week Hollywood felt its mojo coming back. Tom Cruise and Top Gun Maverick skyrocketed above even the most optimistic projections. And Jurassic World Dominion opened worldwide to impressive numbers. And this week, Elvis enters the auditorium. I am Jim Chabin in Los Angeles, and with me is our co-host, Wim Byans. He serves as CEO of Cineonic, and he joins us live from Brussels, Belgium, where it's evening. Good evening, Wim. Hey, good afternoon, Jim. Good to see you. Well, here we are starting uh, our summer season, and what a bang we're we're starting off at the movies. Jurassic World this weekend did $389 million for its opening. It did $50 million at the box office in China. Is China opening up again? Are you finding that? Yeah, China is opening up again, right? So we see that um, uh, specifically in, it wasn't Beijing specifically, but it was Shanghai, which was very much closed. And that's been opened up again. So we're really expecting the numbers to pick back up in in China uh, and people back moving around and going to the theater. So absolutely. Well, we, you and I saw Top Gun at CinemaCon in yes. Las Vegas a couple of months ago, and we thought it was pretty sensational then. It was. It's yeah. done in its second week. It's now over $750 million. Wow. It's probably going to hit a billion dollars. And one of the box office analysts said this week, what we've got here at the box office is not just one great movie that's generating income, but now we've got two great movies, and that's starting to behave like a very healthy summer box office. What's your take? No, 100%. I think it, it's been amazing, right? I think the jury wasn't out when Top Gun came because they said, well, you know, is the audience going to connect because it's been an older audience and is the young audience going to connect? And I think the, the result is that we have Top Gun definitely brought the older audience back to the theaters, right? Which have seen the first Top Gun version, which was great. Uh, but let me see also the young kids is connecting to that. And I think it is one hell of a movie. So I think that a weekend like now is really what we all be waiting for, right? That, that the blockbusters are coming back, that people have choices, and that we're flogging back to the to the theater. So really, uh, I don't think I can't wait to, to see what the next weekend's going to do for us. Well, I, I went to see Top Gun again at a cinema. It was filled with all ages. And I was struck by how nice it was to get out of the house and go to a movie, right? I think the public just wants to get out and, and, and get back into a movie theater. No, absolutely. And I think what I like specifically with a movie like Top Gun, but, but you know, is the fact that it really shows the emotion, right? You, you get... With, with the immersive sound, with with a fantastic visual, you really get thrown into the movie, and right. and so it, it feels like it's over in a bl- in a blink kind of thing, and you get into the story, and it, it's a really it's an it's an enjoyable story. So it's really a movie for I think a big crowd to see, uh, like I think the other ones coming up, right? So and yeah, see it on a big screen. Top Gun would not be the same movie if we'd watched it at home, no, right, on a flat know, screen. You need to have the sound effects, and you need to have the place need to come at you from you. I mean, you need to have that, right? That's really what, yeah. what the cinema experience is all about. So yeah. love it, yeah. love it. When one of the other people that we saw at CinemaCon was Baz Luhrmann talking about Elvis, and I can remember where I was and the day it was that I heard that Elvis Presley had died. It's one of those memories that all of us have seared into our our memories. So this movie has almost a cultural import that, that's coming to uh, theaters this week, and, and people are very, very excited to see it. I can't agree more, Jim. And with that, I think we have our distinguished guest for, for today's show. Steve Binder is a true Hollywood legend. In 1968, Steve Binder produced and directed Elvis Presley in a historic television special for NBC. Recently, he has been a key creative consultant for Baz Luhrmann 
on the new Warner Brothers release, Elvis. His new book, Elvis, The 68 Comeback, is a bestseller on Amazon Books. Welcome, Steve Binder. Thank you very much. Thank you. Steve, first of all, I want to thank you for taking the time in, in the busy schedule you have. Your relationship with Elvis is actually a key part of the movie, of the film, right? You played by the actor Dacre Montgomery. Why did Baz Luhrmann uh, first reach out to you? And why did, uh, why did he want to tell your story, you think? That, that's a really good question. You know, first of all, I'm an admirer of Baz Luhrmann. I watched, you know, just about all of his films. He was open. He was not sure what he wanted to do. He was uh, more or less, he'd known they had already done pseudo-autobiographies of films of Elvis. And knowing Baz and knowing his track record, especially in Moulin Rouge, for his gigantic musicals and his imagination. And Baz, you know, I did a little research on him before I met him and realized he was very involved in staging operas, you know, very, very intelligent. And I was thrilled to have that opportunity. But I spent most of my time with his wife talking about the sets, the costumes, etc. And uh, he was on his own when it came to conceiving uh, the film's concept. I understand he made sure it was a carefully kept secret in terms of, I understand Priscilla Presley never even saw the script of what he was going to shoot, uh, which only made me admire him more because I knew he had the vision and the creativity and didn't want it toyed with or tampered with or changed. And the way to stick to his guns was to only let the, his crew and his cast in on exactly what was going on in Queensland every day of, of production. So I was kept an incredibly close friendship with him. We talked often, you know, if he asked me a question, I'd answer it, but I, I didn't try in any way, shape or form to steer him into, into what his concept was. If you see the movie, uh, you'll understand the context of uh, Steve's role in all this. But to set the stage, it's 1968. The Vietnam War is in full swing. There have been assassinations of Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy. There are riots. It's a dark time in American history. And Colonel Tom Parker and NBC make a deal to create a television special for Elvis after a series of disappointing B-movie appearances and they turn to Steve Bender to see if they can come together and create something special. You first met Elvis at your office at Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood, right? What was your first impression meeting him in person? Well, before I, I met Elvis, when I met Colonel Parker, I was sure I failed the meeting. The first thing that he did was tell me, uh, we've already made the deal with NBC. We're doing a Christmas special with 20 Christmas songs. Uh, there'll be no Elvis talking other than hello and goodbye. And I knew I wasn't going to do it. So I went back to my office, sure that I, I had failed the uh, interview with Colonel Parker. Next thing I know, he approved me. Elvis came to my office the next day. And the first thing he asked me was, what do you think of my career? And I just blurted out and even think, and I said, I think it's in the toilet. <laughs> He looked at me and I thought, he's either going to kill me or walk out or 
what happened was he loved it. He said, finally, somebody's talking truth to me. And we started from there. And he said, what do you think will happen if I do this television special? And I said, well, if it's a success, every door will be open to you again. If it's a failure, uh, you know, one thing about television, it gives you instant results. You know, you don't have to wait for box office results, et cetera. Did you like him? Did you like him as a person? I didn't know yet because I didn't know him. I thought on the surface, when I got the call to do Elvis Presley, I thought, hey, he comes from Tupelo, Mississippi and, uh, you know, Tennessee, and he might be a redneck. And, and I'm very liberal in my personal feelings. So I wanted, that's why I wanted to meet him one-on-one. I, I, I made a condition before I made a decision. I had to talk to him alone. No Colonel Parker, no honorage, uh, just he and I. And I asked him lots of questions, and he asked me questions. And we found we had a lot in common right from get-go. So I'd never seen anybody. When he walked into my office, if you didn't know Elvis Presley, you would definitely know who he was and remember this guy because he was physically the most impressive human being I ever laid eyes on. Normally, an artist will say, to a director, you know, favor my left side or my right side of my face, uh, don't shoot my back. I mean, whatever their their quirks are, Elvis was perfect. I mean, I instantly knew I could shoot him 360 and not have any problem, which I did. Steve, Colonel Tom Parker is played by Tom Hanks in his film. In your book, you go into a lot of detail about him. What was your impression working with him? And what was he like in your opinion? From get-go, from the very beginning that I met him, I never understood his his power. Is is uh, call it what you may. There are a lot of managers managing talented artists, but nobody wielded the power that he had. I saw major presidents of, of companies bow to him, and you know their whole focus is on please the colonel, etc. Uh, I thought he was evil from day one. It never was about art. And, and I think he never really understood uh, all artists. I mean, they never spent a day socializing with each other. They never went over to each other's home and, and broke bread. And, and I found that completely weird. The Colonel always wanted to play it safe. And it was always about the almighty dollar. Steve, you, you broke ground with this show and it, it features, it's about 11 minutes of this motion picture it's a it's a significant plot point is your your role and your your special you borrowed handheld cameras to shoot this from nbc sports uh the football department you placed him in front of an audience in the round and you were the first to use a unplugged format with minimum orchestration highlighting just elvis and his guitar what were you trying to get at with all of that technical innovation elvis asked me at the very beginning if he could put a bed in this dressing room and live at NBC while I, I, I did the special. That was the greatest thing that ever happened because at a certain time every evening, he'd finish rehearsing or taping, he'd get bored and he'd pull out his guitar and go into his dressing room. We put a few pianos in there at the time and whoever happened to be hanging out started to uh, jam with him and reminisce about the old days and tell stories of 
the time the vice squad came to the Pan Pacific Auditorium and were ready to arrest him if he moved his hips. And uh, great, great songs that I never heard before and everything. And I said, this is what the world is waiting to see. This is, this is why Elvis became so popular in the first place. And he's been denied showing off that side of him. In fact, I wanted to bring cameras into Elvis's dressing room when he was doing it for real. And the Colonel absolutely said no. The Colonel was all about control. That, that's all he cared about. You've worked with musical greats from Diana Ross to Michael Jackson. Um, what talent or gift or energy did you see in Elvis or did you feel when you were with him? What did you feel that he had that made him special? Indefinable, Jim. It's, it's called charisma, and I don't think anybody can define that. Uh, whether they're famous or not, uh, you are destined to look at them, focus on them, because they're just different. I, I was thinking last night, there are a few iconic figures in our society. I could point to Elvis, I could point to Merle Monroe, I could point to James Dean, who live beyond generations. Who knows if or when the flame will burn out. One of the greatest artists in, in my lifetime is certainly Bob Dylan, who is now in his, I think, 70s. And he doesn't fit in that category because he lived out his life. And I think those artists that I pointed out died very early in life, like Elvis, you know, in their early 30s and younger. And uh, for some reason, when they leave us, their flame is so bright that they become immortal. And, and I think if, if they just, they didn't die so young and, and robbed us of so much of their future talent and so forth, that it becomes a phenomenon. Our insider today is director and producer and now author, Steve Bender. We'll be right back. The Insiders is proudly presented by Cineonic. Cineonic's future-ready enhanced services and technology solutions provide compelling cinema experiences, peace of mind, and financial flexibility. Today, with more than 95,000 projectors installed globally, cinemas around the world trust laser projection by Cineonic to power the next generation of moviegoing. Visit Cineonic.com today and discover why theaters look to Cineonic to provide the solutions of tomorrow today. Our insider today is Emmy Award-winning director and producer Steve Binder, who's been a key creative consultant to Baz Luhrmann for the new movie Elvis. Arriving nationwide in theaters June 24th, Steve's new book, Elvis, The 68 Comeback, is a bestseller. Steve, you had an amazing career. Uh, you directed major music specials, concerts at the Hollywood Bowl and the Emmy Award shows, of course. When you begin your work, what is the personal passion that drives you and what do you personally want to achieve? I started in college uh, in pre-med and I fortunately uh, found a part-time job at the college radio station. And I always felt when I was in front of a microphone talking, all I cared about was one-on-one. -on -one. If I reached one person, I had accomplished my goal. And I felt that all the way through my career. I, I came from very non-show business roots. My dad had a 
a gasoline station in downtown Los Angeles. He was a laborer his whole life. He and my mother sacrificed their lives so my sister and I could be well-educated, et cetera. And my ace in the hole in my entire career was, if this doesn't pan out, I can always go back and work for my dad in his gas station. <laughs> and uh, th that, that gave me a sense of, of security for whatever reason. So I never was fearful of being fired or, or uh, failing in anything. I wanted to please myself first and then hope there were people like me out there who would understand it. And I had so many opportunities along my career to express that where I never wanted to reach a mass audience because we all have a different taste. And you know, you're always gonna be criticized for whatever you do, but it never bothered me. And I just felt if I had one thing in every show that was a strong statement about brotherly love, you know, peace instead of war. I mean, all those things that are meaningful to my life and, and my upbringing and the opportunity to do it over and over again, year after year is a blessing. I mean, I, I can't take credit for you know, being responsible for that. For every person who didn't want to work with me, there was always another person who did, and that was important. Steve, you have a reputation for being a fearless leader during your career. You also have been known to be a little bit of a rebel, right? When you hired somebody within your team, what qualities were you looking for in that person uh, before you were hiring them? When I would start a show, going back to the beginning of my career, there were always one or possibly two who stood out from the crowd. And I never forgot them. And when I had the opportunity to put my own staff together, I pulled back into my bag of, of I guess, history and started to accumulate them. The crew that I put together, the staff I put together were Elvis Presley. I wish I'd worked with for the rest of my career. And, and I will say, it's not difficult to pick talent because first of all, if you're the director, you want their input all the time, but you don't want them to dictate to you what decisions are. The great thing about being a producer director, and I only became a producer to protect my directing skills and not have somebody whispering in my ear, no, you should be doing it this way instead of that way. Not dissimilar from what Baz does in his movies. So it, it was easy for me to recognize the talent that I wanted to surround myself with. And to this day, I can honestly say, even at my age, even being almost retired now, that I learned something from every production that I've ever done. Steve Baslerman writes the forward to your book, and in it he says that your amazing NBC special with Elvis is one of the essential chapters in Elvis's life. This was a special around the Christmas holidays, and here's what Lerman writes in your book. Rather than end the show with a Christmas song, Bender created a powerful ballad in response to the tragic assassination of Robert F. Kennedy. Elvis, in his white suit, singing If I Can Dream, was surely the moment when Elvis began to realize that he and his gift could not only be relevant again, but that they were needed. 
Tell us about that, that moment in the telecast. Up until the very end of the special, I still had not programmed any Christmas songs in the show. I had a fantastic uh, music team of uh, Billy Goldenberg as my musical director, who really changed the whole history of Elvis's direction musically. Elvis told me that he never performed with anything but his rhythm section. They would leave and then they'd bring all the other mu musicians into the studio to overdub. So it was really a case of Billy and our choral director, Earl Brown, who I assigned to write an original song. I said, look, we all know Elvis now really well. We all spent individual time with him. We all have stories. But the one thing we all agree on is Colonel Parker will never, ever let Elvis, like many variety stars do, at the end of the show, talk. So we have to bury what we want to say in a song. So write me a song that tells everybody who's an Elvis fan in the world who exactly Elvis Presley is. And let, let's talk about uh, he treated everybody, at least when we worked with him, equally. He was friendly to everybody, courteous, kind, all those Boy Scout principles. And we all ended up really liking him. I didn't see a, a, a redneck sign his entire being. And uh, we were United Nations on that show. We had a black choreographer, a Puerto Rican choreographer, integrated dance companies, singers, dancers, everybody was from different races, religions, etc. It was America uh, at the time. And so when they came in to audition, a song that it turns out only Earl Brown wrote, they played it for me, Billy at the piano and Earl singing it. I knew after four bars, this was the song I wanted. After 1968, Elvis would end up at the International Hotel in Las Vegas, which is now the Westgate. He had a sad ending. What do you think contributed to his, his untimely uh, passing? Boredom. I've said that over and over again. I don't, boredom. I don't boredom. think he died of drugs. I think he died of boredom. He, he ended up, the last conversation we had at NBC he said he would never record a song again that he didn't believe in. He'd never do a movie that he didn't like the script or the director. He wanted to go around the world and meet all his fans and climb new mountains and face new challenges. And I said, I hear you, Elvis, but I'm not sure you're strong enough after observing his relationship with Parker. And uh, he was a human being, a multidimensional human who had good days and bad days, was on the surface, polite to everybody. But there's another side of Elvis that I saw that was like all of us, all humans, frustrated uh, at, at times, expressing anger, uh, you know, things that, that the public was denied. So, Steve, what's your expectation for the movie? You know, it's going to come out right now, Elvis. So how is it going to do in theaters? What do you believe? Well, obviously, because I am participating, because I am a big fan of, of Baz, because of the incredible pre-sell of the movie by Warner Brothers, I'm hoping it goes through the roof. I'm hoping it breaks all box office records. I think 
between Baz and the cast members I've met, I'm only wishing for the best. And I know what Baz promised me from day one, and I think he delivered, is he said this is going to be a true story of Elvis, not a superficial one just glossing over reality. Starring Austin Butler as Elvis, Tom Hanks as Colonel Tom Parker, Olivia DeJong as Priscilla Presley, and directed by Baz Luhrmann, Elvis opens this week. The book Elvis, the 68 Comeback Special, is available everywhere. It's a great read. Steve Bender, thank you for joining us. Great good luck with the movie and the book, and thank you for bringing us Elvis in 1968. Thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure being with you guys. It's been fantastic. It's been fabulous. Wim and I will be right back. Wim, we just had a conversation with a legend, and uh, not many people alive really knew Elvis Presley, but boy, Steve Bender sure did. And he uh, he can still talk about it like any detail he still remembers, right? Which is which is amazing, fantastic. Right. Well, I, it, it only makes me want to see the movie all the more. And here we've started the. The summer season, exciting season with flying jet airplanes and Tom Cruise and dinosaurs. And uh, we'll soon have a, a Thor movie from our friends at Marvel. But here we have a biopic movie. A couple years ago, we had Bohemian Rhapsody. We had Rocket Man, the story of Elton John. And now we've got one of the, the biggest legends of rock and roll all time, uh, Elvis. What do you hope this movie does at the box office? You know, you know, when you just glancing them through like you just did jim it, it just shows me how diverse the different stories are right and i think this is really something which i really enjoy the big screen can hold whatever story kind of thing right and it doesn't have to be always the same type of story so the fact that we have the diversity of stories i think that's going to do well it's going to do well i think in general because i think it is it's it's a cultural aspect that i think the biopic is, is a great genre to to uh, to focus into and it's also going to bring different audiences to the movies and it's going to make people enjoy it more. And I think that's what we need. We need a lot of everything kind of thing, you know, rather than just one thing many times, right? And this is really what he shows. So I'm really, really, really thrilled. And I think Elvis is going to do great because he is a legend, by the way. And it is a great movie. It's, it's going to attract a lot of people. I think it's even going to run long kind of thing, right? Because movies like this typically do. So I'm really looking forward for the uh, the outcome here. We've got Lightyear coming out from Pixar. Uh, I think... How long has it been since we've been able to say there is something for everybody at the movies right now? You know, yeah, and, and also the Pixar I'm very excited about, right? Because I think there's been many of the Pixar movies been going to the streaming platforms before that. Now this right. one is going to go back to right. the big screen, at least from my opinion, where it belongs. And and it, it it's, you know, family content, right? So so it's really what, what people are looking forward to. So, no, I think the big screen, the theaters are really getting what they deserve. And I think the audience will get that. And in the end, all the content creators too, because they will realize how important the theatrical uh, part of the business is. And, and the next couple of weeks is going to be really showing that. Our quote of the day comes from Priscilla Presley, who said after seeing Elvis the movie, I have seen the film, but the words I heard from my daughter, Lisa Marie, and how much she loved the film, and how much that her daughter, Riley, will love it too, brought tears to me. It took us a few days to overcome the emotions we experienced. It's beautifully done. Thank you, Baz. Pretty tall praise. Thank you, Wim. Thank you, Steve. And thank you all for listening. The Insiders is presented by Cineonic and produced by the Advanced Imaging Society in Hollywood. 
Our executive producers are Adam Castles in New York and Mike Piltzecker in Los Angeles. Brett Harrison produced today's show, and our technical director is Matthew Buck Lombardo. This is AIS.